Hello, welcome once again to 177 Nations of Tasmania podcast. I'm Mark Thompson. So what do you know about Nigeria? For many Australians, their only contact with Nigeria may be through emails from a Nigerian prince wanting to mysteriously place millions of dollars into their bank account. But did you know that Nigeria is not only Africa's most populous country, but it is also both one of the largest Christian and Muslim nations. It's also the home to Nollywood, which is the third largest producer of films in the world and the home for African filmmaking. The Nigerian population of Tasmania has been steadily increasing and predominantly consists of well-paid professionals as well as students. And to tell me more about this, I have Edward who lives in Launceston and has been working here for a number of years. The first thing I would say that brought me to Launceston was that need to leave my country. That's mm -hmm. the first thing. And then it could have been anywhere. So it wasn't like we fished out Launceston. Could have been anywhere as long as it was a good, safe place to be. So I um, my wife landed a scholarship in Utah for maritime law. She's a PhD, maritime law. And I was like, you know what, we're, we're going. We left Nigeria and arrived in Lancaster directly. Yeah. So how long ago was, was that? This was in 2018, first quarter of 2018. Why did you um, decide you needed to leave Nigeria? What was the motivation? First of all, growing up, I had a lot of exposure to literature. I think that's where the travel book started. And um, I, I just knew the world was accessible and interesting. And I didn't have to spend my whole life in one place. So I had, you know, lived in a few other countries like Bud Budapest, Hungary, okay. and Houston, Texas in the U.S. and um, Padova in Italy, and and then. And sorry, were you yeah. were you living were you living there or working there or living, working, schooling, one thing or the other. Yeah. But I've always had reason to go somewhere else. So when I came back to Nigeria, I was like, you know what, I can do it another trip with my family for a bit. Yeah. So that that's the main thing. Yeah. There, of course, there are other tiny bits here and there. But that's the main reason. I, I love traveling and yeah. I love being in other cultures. I came here, I didn't have any job and my wife was studying mm -hmm. and I started applying for jobs and started net networking, attending footy games, attending clubs, I then joined the Red Cross and stuff like that. And my CV started flying around and I got called for an interview and got a job. Yeah. So I might ask you a bit more about the the networking because mm -hmm. that's often a pretty uh, important area for it is, new it people. It is really important for new people. And, and, a lot, yeah. and a lot of people, new people can struggle with it yeah. a little bit. So mm -hmm. what, what what were some of the main things you, you found useful for networking here and getting to know local people better? Yeah, so like I said earlier, one of the key things colonization did for us was to give us that Western-style British culture, mm -hmm. which uh, comes to bear when you come to a country like this. So as soon as I, I you know, 
watch the landscape of um, Tasmania and Lancaster, I was like, oh, okay, this is the way, you know, mm -hmm. because it's something, like I said, there's no difference between Lancaster and the average small city in Nigeria. Okay. Yeah, you know, they have a strong sense of custodianship, they have a strong sense of community, and they have this, they are very warm to people they accept and very cold to people they don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, and things like that. It's okay. it's the same in every small, you know, town or community that you go to, especially with the Western style orientation. So immediately I knew it had to be networking. And um, I, I went to work and, <laughs> and I started networking and I found the community to be very welcoming. And, mm -hmm. you know, the more they know you, the more they love you, the more they, you know, embrace you, you know, like they should. <laughs> like, how else is it gonna yeah, happen they yeah. need to know you more they need to get to see you around more you know you just don't pop out from nowhere and yeah you know so i think if i were to summarize my network journey it would be first of all i'm coming from a british style country that gave me you know the, the framework so people coming from other types of orientation will find it way harder yeah. to, to start. So for me, I didn't come to Lancaster and I didn't feel like a fish out of water. Like I understood what was going on. Yeah. I, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that was a good start for me. I understood that if you met someone, let's say fishing, that could materialize into something serious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, so... I was careful to make a good impression wherever I went and make connections and yeah. Nigeria, as we know, was colonized by the British and the British really did a number on us. About 200 years of occupation and um, both directly and indirectly because they had their ways of doing it either through churches or through businesses or before they officially put a governor general there. So for a long period, they'd been influencing Nigerian culture. So by the time I was born in the 80s, and Nigeria was basically a European-style country. Yeah, so I was born in a, in a city named Port Harcourt, named after a British captain. I went to Air Force Primary School and, um, you know, and I spoke English all my life. Okay. Yeah, like I was, from the first day I stepped foot in school, it was English. You know, life in Nigeria for someone like me born into a middle class family with educated parents and into a city, it's no different than, you know, someone who was born in, in the US or in the UK or okay. yeah, in Singapore or anything, you know. So there's nothing radically different other than the fact that because of oil, crude oil, I grew up in a very diverse city. I By the time I was 10, I had met people from over 20 nationalities. Yeah, right. Irish, Americans, you know, I go to church and I meet people from India, Pakistan, because the oil companies were bringing expatriates, like, you know, in a rapid way. Like, you, you just see them coming and going in the mm. supermarkets, everywhere. They're, they were just everywhere, expatriates, you know. 
So by the time I was in secondary school, I was fully exposed to, you know, all the cultures in the world. So that was what it was like. So was that part of what made you curious about the rest of what, wanting to see other parts of the world? Yeah, that, that was a, a secondary influence. The primary influence was uh, my mom is a librarian. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and she's a professor of information science. So I was drenched in books, yeah. like just growing. And my mom is, is a very liberal person. Like she had no restrictions on what a person could read. Okay. Like, by the time I was 10, I had read, I was reading things like Lobster and Rangpa yeah. and myst mystical books. She okay. didn't care. She was like, read and gave me, and I read and read and read. And, you know, I just knew the world was out there. Go see yeah, it. Yeah, right. Go see this stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Because I was going to ask you, because I, I, I know a few of the stereotypes of um, Nigerian mm -hmm. families and mm -hmm. Nigerian mums mm -hmm. uh, from you know watching some things on tv yeah, yeah yeah i know that the general stereotype is that the mothers in nigeria are very strict yeah. and mm -hmm. rule the family yeah, yeah. with a yeah. iron rod yeah. mm -hmm. but it sounds like was it like that for you or was it, it sounds like it might have been a bit different so uh my grandmother was a matriarch mm -hmm. and um fits that description but because nigeria has 350 plus ethnicities in it. It is difficult for, and both my parents were from two different ethnicities. Okay. Yeah, so they had to meet halfway with regards to culture. And, you know, British culture created that space for them. So since both of them were British educated, they, they operated in that British cultural space. Okay. So instead of leaning on one culture or the other, which were at variance with each other because all 350 plus cultures had very little to do with each other. All right. They were just lumped together by the British, you know. So, so my, my mom, uh, you know, is, is from an island nation off the Atlantic where they are matrilineal somewhat. Okay. Yeah, and so women hold a better status in society and in families. While my dad is from um, the Igbo-speaking um, region, eastern region of Nigeria, slave farmers and agrarian people who have a strong patriarchal way of life. Yeah. So that that was um, something I think they had to both put aside and yeah. just, you know, go with the British or uh, like the Western way of doing things. Yeah. yeah. So I grew up in a in a household where I didn't know one way. It took me a while to even pick up my own language. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so you you mean, do you mean that your parents spoke English? Yeah, they spoke well? English to each okay. other and to me. So we spoke English at home and everywhere until I think when I was in my teens. Mm -hmm. You know, for some reason, you know, my mom just decided it's, you know, we should learn this language. You know, we all know it. You guys don't know it. You guys should learn it. And right. And um, it's it was easy for me to pick it up because I've been hearing it all my life. I just yeah. never spoke it. So immediately I started speaking it. It just, you yeah. know, went easy. So I guess you would you heard it in the streets. Yeah, it's like everywhere. That. Yeah, it's everywhere. But the language at school was English. Yeah. English was the language of school, the language in church, 
the language in the marketplace, the news, everywhere is English. I mean, I guess that, I mean, it's probably an advantage now that you're wanting to, in terms of traveling. Yeah, it's, it's a great advantage for traveling. And it's also um, because English always comes with its culture. Yeah. So it's also a great advantage for um, dealing with culture shock. So wherever I show up, the, the, the English, uh, the British Empire has had massive influence in the world. So wherever you show up, the bit of uh, British Western culture that you have always insulates you against any shock you're going to make. So, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people in Australia would have, even more so in Tasmania, would have no idea what it's like. What's it like, yeah. In, in Nigeria or Africa generally. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's a lot of stereotypes about Nigeria as well. Mm-hmm. So, what was, could you tell me a bit about what was the um, place like where you grew up? Nigeria, as we know, was colonized by the British, and the British really did a number on us. About 200 years of occupation, and um, both directly and indirectly, because they had their ways of doing it either through churches or through businesses or before they officially put a governor general there. So for a long period, they'd been influencing Nigerian culture. So by the time I was born, in the 80s and Nigeria was basically a European style country yeah so I was born in a, in a city named Port Harcourt named after a British captain I went to Air Force primary school and um, you know and I spoke English all my life okay yeah like I was from the first day I stepped foot in school it was English you know, life in Nigeria for someone like me born into a middle-class family with educated parents and into a city, it's no different than, you know, someone who was born in, in the U.S. or in the U.K. or okay. yeah, in Singapore or anything, you know. So there's nothing radically different other than the fact that because of oil, crude oil, I grew up in a very diverse city. I, by the time I was 10, I had met people from over 20 nationalities. Yeah, right. Irish, Americans, you know. I go to church and I meet people from India, Pakistan, because the oil companies were bringing expatriates, like, you know, in a rapid way. Like, you, you just see them coming and going in the mm. supermarkets, everywhere. They're, they were just everywhere, expatriates, you know. So by the time I was in secondary school, I was fully exposed to, you know, all the cultures in the world. So that was what it was like. So was that part of what made you curious about the rest of, wanting to see other parts of the world? Yeah, that, that was a, a secondary influence. The primary influence was uh, my mom is a librarian. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and she's a professor of information science. So... I was drenched in books, yeah. like just growing. And my mom is, is a very liberal person. Like she had no restrictions on what a person could read. Okay. Like by the time I was 10, I had read, I was reading things like Lobster and Rangpa yeah. and mix, mystical books. She okay. didn't care. She was like, read and gave me, and I read and read and read. And, you know, I just knew the world was out there. Go see yeah, it. Yeah, right. Go see this stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Because I was going to ask you, because I, I, I know a few of the 
stereotypes of um, Nigerian mm. families and mm-hmm. Nigerian mums mm-hmm. uh, from, you know, watching some things on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that the general stereotype is that the mothers in Nigeria are very strict yes. and mm-hmm. rule the family yeah, with yeah. a yeah. iron rod. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like, was it like that for you or was it, it sounds like it might have been a bit different? So uh, my grandmother was a matriarch mm-hmm. and um, fits that description. But because Nigeria has 350 plus ethnicities in it, it is difficult for, and both my parents were from two different ethnicities. Okay. Yeah, so they had to meet halfway with regards to culture. And, you know, British culture created that space for them. So since both of them were British educated, they, they operated in that British cultural space. Okay. So instead of leaning on one culture or the other, which were at variance with each other, because all 350 plus cultures had very little to do with each other. All right. They were just lumped together by the British, you know. So so my, my mom, uh, you know, is, is from an island nation off the Atlantic where they are matrilineal somewhat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what they did was just to um, transfer the whole dynamic of their interactions with Adibia and just superimpose it on the clergyman. That's it. So that's how they were able to adapt. Um, the, that's for the the serious Christians one. Then there are the nominal ones, which are like a majority, who just show up for show and still have their stuff going on yeah. behind closed doors. Yeah. On the other hand, the, the northern part of the country really bought Islam wholesale mm-hmm. from the Arabs because yep. there was an Arabic-type colonization of northern Nigeria, which happened with a jihad by Usman Danfodio. And it was a, a really, really successful jihad because he, he covered almost half the country, planted emirates everywhere. So it's in their own situation, it was a wholesale, we are now Muslim type thing, you know. So it, it, there's no ambivalence around it or equivocation okay. or anything. They are very well invested in it. So when did, when did that happen, actually? Oh, it happened, I think, in the 1800s, okay. 17, 1800s, just before the Trans-Saharan slave trade. There was a trans-Saharan slave trade before the trans-Atlantic slave trade or about the same time. The, the government has done a really great job of managing, you know, Christianity and Islam mm-hmm. in, in the country. They've done a fantastic job. However, um, once in a while, because... The both religion believe in proliferation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always, you know, tough wars, clashes here and there. Oh, you can't come plant a church here, or oh, why should you build a mosque here? You know, like every other place I've been in. Like, yeah, I remember in Italy, it 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 was a big issue when um, the mayor of Padova wanted to give a piece of land to Muslims yeah. to build a mosque. It was a huge deal, and it didn't happen. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but are there people who still practice traditional religion? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, there are a lot of open practitioners and there are a lot of uh, hidden practitioners, but the courts recognize uh, traditional okay. um, culture and religion. And um, if you swear an oath by a deity, it stands in court. In, it's called customary court. So, uh, like I, because of um, multiplicity of ethnicities, what a priest is from differs from culture to culture. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, they've they've got status in their communities. Some of them are hereditary, and others are just divine anointed type okay. situation. Like uh, you know, like I know a man who used to be a lecturer in mm -hmm. a university, and came back home one day and said he wanted to be a Dibia. The spirits spoke to him. Stuff like that happens. Otherwise, it's usually passed from father to son. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's that's easier way. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a saying where I come from, that a rich man has all types of people in his house. And my understanding of stereotypes is that um, people are drawn to other people who are like them. So... I've, I've been around a lot of countries and a lot of people, and I've had all sorts of stereotypes. And I realize that people gravitate towards stuff that, ref that resonates with them. So, um, I, for example, one time I was in Romania, and someone walked up to me and said, um, you're Nigerian, and I'm like, yeah. And he said, do you know um, Nike? I said, why should I know Nike? He's like, she's one of the greatest artists in the world. And she, she lectures in Harvard from Nigeria. I said, I don't know her. <laughs> she's like, he's like, okay, I'm an art enthusiast. That's why I know her. That told me all I needed to know about anyone who comes asking me about email scams. You're <laughs> an email scammer. That's why you know such, such stuff. People who like authors, they know that we have Nobel Prize authors. Yeah. People who like politics know that Nigeria has been in every political field. You can from the World Trade Organization to the UN to you know people who like football know that Nigeria yeah. has been all over soccer. You know, it just it just act, act, actors. Yes. Yeah. People who like acting, people who like uh, I met a British soldier, yeah, a retired soldier, who was telling me about the amazing Nigerians he met at Sandhurst every time he was, you know. So it's it just, just up to the individual, you yep. know. So stereotypes are more about the person propagating them than what is real. Yeah. And that's what I've realized. And um, here in Australia, I found people who came up to me and asked me stuff about, you know, political activists that I don't even know of. And they educate me about my country. Like, you have really serious political activists in your country that are doing really great work. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so Nigeria must be really politically charged. I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> you know, so that's my take on stereotypes. You know, it's about the individual. What sort of some of the more... Um I guess unusual or strange questions you might have been asked about Nigeria. Well, um, I, first of all, 
I don't consider any question strange. I just, I like all questions and I like human interaction at every level. So, and I've, I've, I prefer people who want to learn, even if they misstep in their, yep. in their quest for learning. You know, I prefer them to people who judge from afar, you know. So um, I've had weird interactions. Uh, but I think the the worst of all, the weird ones, it's someone who came up to me and uh, was asking me if, how did he put it? He said, I hope you're not one of the Nigerians who bring drugs to other countries. All right. Yeah, straight to my face. Was he Australian? Of course he was yeah. Australian. <laughs> I'm talking about Australia here. Yeah. Oh, if we want to talk about other countries, I've had some crazy interactions in Italy. And, but, you know, the, the Italian people have, um, you know, the way they interacted with me was more of, they had more of a classist problem, right. you know, than they had of um, ignorance. So they were not really ignorant about stuff. They were just adamant that a black person was beneath them that's all yeah right yeah <laughs> that's all what that that's all their problem was but with regards to ignorance and weird questions then someone coming up to me and asking me you know i hope i'm not one of the nigerians and i was like i i'm, I'm surprised you know about such people yeah yeah how do you know about such people are you are you <laughs> into drug stuff and he just walked away that type of interaction has happened, but most, it's been mostly good. I met an Australian who had worked in Ghana and Nigeria, and um, he actually challenged me to a jollof rice cooking contest, which is like the highest level <laughs> of challenges <laughs> you, okay. can, you, can, you can do to a Nigerian. Like, yeah. <laughs> can you exp explain a bit more about what that is? So um, in West Africa, there's a, a dish called jollof rice. Mm -hmm. It's made from tomato sauce and rice. And it's um, like the pride and joy of every West African country. The Australian, New Zealand stuff with one of their cakes. Is it a pavlova? Oh, the, oh yeah, pavlova. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that type of thing. So in, in West Africa, it's the jollof rice. And who, who started it, who's the best at it and stuff like that. So... It's always um, if you if you Google it, it's all over the internet. Like okay, people, yeah, I'll check it out later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I've met Australians who who knew the culture to that point, right? As to challenge me to a jollof right? and I laughed all day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's um, I've 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 met Australians who who knew more about Nigeria than me. But when you were at school, did you have some kind of aspiration or ambition uh, about what you wanted to do with your life? Oh, yeah. It, it was really hard, you know, because um, I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> okay. I was really invested in it, and I was part of a lot of school plays, and I went for drama championships, and I won the shield of the state and all that. I was really invested in it, and... 
but my parents were not enthused <laughs> you know like yeah. they didn't see how i could make a living with it and in nigeria and among a lot of african parents education is a means to a meal ticket yeah so if they don't see the pathway then you're doing it wrong yeah. Although you, you know, you've got Nollywood, don't you? In yeah, Nollywood is a recent uh, bloom. Yeah. It didn't happen when in, in the 80s there were no Hollywood, in the 90s no Hollywood, no Nollywood, you know, in the 2000s. In fact, by the time I finished uni, I don't think a Nollywood actor had ever seen a million naira before. It's just recent. Nollywood is the, is the third largest export of movies right now yeah there's hollywood there's bollywood the indian film industry and straight into nigeria and hollywood yeah yeah it, it has blown up really and i wish i, <laughs> I wish You're i was the wrong part time. of it <laughs> i wish i was part of it but that's gone now but that's that's what i wanted to you know be and somehow my parents were able to convince me that you know what you can study law and you can still go into acting later you know yeah. acting will always be there for you it's not running away you can always uh, and they started showing me people who started acting at 50 at 60 like <laughs> stuff like that and i went back to school and, yeah. <laughs> yeah cunning parents <laughs> they knew the right psychology yeah views, i guess if you were to offer some advice to a Nigerian who's thinking of coming to Tasmania, mm -hmm. what uh, would be some key things that you think they would need to know first? Um, so it de depends on where they're coming from. If they're coming straight from Nigeria or if they're coming from another part of Australia, if they're coming from straight from Nigeria, my advice to them would be, you know, find some other Nigerian first and get the orientation locked down and know uh, know what's going on that way you're able to know what to do faster instead of learning you know reinventing the wheel um, but if they're coming from sydney and melbourne and some other which is what's happening now because international borders are, are closed uh, I, I think i have more advice for those people because there's a tendency to think that it's a one size fits all yep. approach but that's not it Tasmania is radically different from Melbourne. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. You need to wake up to what you're coming to. You need to do your homework and um, you need to ask questions because um, it is important that you don't, it, it is important that you tailor your expectations in order not to uh, be disappointed or to be quick to judge um, this beautiful island before you have a chance to know it. Tell me a bit about your current role in Launceston. Currently, I work for the Northern Tasmania Development Corporation where I manage the population program. It's actually a, a population growth strategy yep. initiative, which is focused on growing the skilled worker cohort of the economy and the society. So what I do um, is to create and you know, execute initiatives that improve workplace participation and social cohesion. So those are like the two key 
targets to get people together more and to get people more invested in living here for a longer time yeah and to get people to work yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah and so how is that what you've been doing the whole time yeah. yeah yeah so how did you get into that job in the first place obviously you applied <laughs> but what was the process yeah it was um a cv to uh, uh, my cv just kept making the rounds yep and then i was called for an interview and uh, i liked it and i was given a chance to try it out for uh, 15 hours a, a week okay and i did that for a few months and they were like oh we, we like what you're doing do you want to do it full-time i'm like why not I said, okay yeah and i went full-time with it yeah, yeah. and i'm going on three years now yeah yeah that's a, it's a great it's a great role yeah sure. it is it is what are some of the things that you've enjoyed about Launceston? Well, first, the first thing I, I really love about Launceston is the people. I've met by my work and because I'm a really social person, generally speaking, I've met quite a number of people and they're really nice and lovely people who, you know, happy to welcome people and show you their world. You know, they're always happy to answer questions, happy to introduce you, happy to have coffee, happy to, you know, I'm coming from uh, a mega city called Lagos, which has about 18 to 25 million people, depending on who is counting, <laughs> uh, 25 million people in one little in small the, place. And yeah. you can't even see someone who, no matter how well-meaning they are, has the time to have coffee with you. Yeah. Because I couldn't find parking in front of my office for two years in Lagos. Yeah, wow. Well. It's that hard. You need to wake up by 2 a.m. to get parking. <laughs> you know, it's that crazy. But, you know, you come to a place like Lancaster, I like the easygoing, you know, atmosphere, the balance they have in their life and the way they're able to you know, integrate new people into their community. And I feel like, you know, like, I feel like I'm part of um, the Lancaster fabric now. And yeah. when people ask me where I'm from, you know, like when I go, when I go visiting other parts of Tazi and I'm asked where I'm from, I always say Lancaster. And yeah. I, I see the look on their faces <laughs> and I smile. <laughs> <laughs> But have there been any um, any challenges with uh, adapting to um, life here? No, really. There's been none. Like I've said again and again, it's it's just like Nigeria. Yeah. There's really been no challenges. In fact, they've all, they've only been advantages. Okay. Like it's a safer place to be. It's a, a more. It has a more responsive public service mm. than Nigeria. You know, it has. A more balanced lifestyle you know you can commute in 10 minutes to the office and back and things like that you know yeah. it's, it's only advantages i see comparison to where i'm coming from or other places i've been and you know if there were to be you know if i'm to mention any challenge what it, it will be uh, nigerian food is really expensive here yeah yeah that's my main challenge it's really super expensive 
Well, I guess some of the ingredients too. No, you no, know, they have to import it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it goes through a lot of, a lot of middlemen. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah I, yeah, I know some of the ingredients are not so common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I've seen okra around a bit more. Yeah, okra. Is, yeah, I know it's a pretty big thing. Okra is good, and uh, but we have so much more, you know, like that. We we would want, and there's also the way it's processed. Okay, you know, yep. it's not just the 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 ingredient, but how it's processed, and the people back in Nigeria know how to process it that way. Yeah. And even if I'm giving a raw, let's say I'm giving a catfish now, you know, I don't know how to make it the way the Nigerian people make it. Yeah. I think the average Nigerian has a master's degree. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, we're very competitive because we have to be. We are 200 million of us. <laughs> yeah. And there's only, so, uh, there's only so much resources to go around. And yeah, so we're, most Nigerians here in Tasmania are doctors. Yeah, yeah. And nice um, the, or the, nurses. Yeah, so. or nurses or engineers. And, you know, uh, I trained as a lawyer in Nigeria. Okay. And uh, yeah, so, um, and I have um, like, <laughs> my my CV is so huge. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. Don't forget you can also follow us on Spotify, Facebook and Twitter. Just look up 177 Nations of Tasmania. And thank you again for listening.